Hello, and welcome to the Gameology Podcast. I am Attila Gabriel Rinsky, uh, joined this week by Chris Ferris. Hello. Uh, so, Chris, I guess we could say you're a good friend of mine. We've known each other for a couple years at this point. And um, why don't you uh, just give a quick overview of your, like, how people might know you? Sure. So, uh, hi, I'm Chris Ferris. Uh, I'm also known uh, by my screen name, Ferrisville42. Um, and yeah, so I'm an animator and compositor, um, and I, I'm like sort of new to the animation industry, but uh, I've been doing video work and um, gaming sort of modding work for a long time. So people might know me in the uh, Red Alert um, modding community as well as uh, in other places as well. Yeah, so that's actually how I got to know you through the um, Red Alert 3 modding scene. And mm -hmm. uh, it's it's kind of funny that we sort of started out as internet friends, like both participating in the same, well, you guys were like the leader of the um, RA3 Paradox mod. And yeah, I was just an avid fan. And I was just sort of like, you know, talking to various members of the community. I'd participate in the uh, Paradox cast that you guys used to run. Uh, but then one year at Con Bravo, we both attended unbeknownst to each other and met in person again without knowing what either the other, like what, who we looked like, um, what the other looked like. And I just happened to be recording uh, James Portnow at the time on my iPhone. And this audio, while it's low quality, is just too precious not to share. So I'm going to cut in a clip now of us meeting for the first time, just completely incidentally. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but yeah, like, I mean, and that's just something that I made in, like, my spare time, just by fooling around with a bunch of, like, code and stuff. So. Spares? Chris. Oh, and the thing is, you can actually. Does, does someone actually know? <laughs> yes, I am Blue Screen Pro. You're like number one fan. Uh, how do you end up in the same city that I'm in? I'm just messing with you. The guy who comments on all my YouTube videos and is all like, man, you were just so awesome. And I'm like, I'm really not. I, I love the guy who goes to conventions like you do. <laughs> this is oh awesome. Yeah. But yeah, uh, this is my favorite thing about music. <laughs> oh, the memories. Yeah. Good times. It's a, I remember the first time that I got to play that back for you, um, just because like, how often do you ever capture a moment like that? Like, as, as unlikely as something like that is to happen in the first place, what are the odds on top of that that I was recording? So, oh I yeah, hope... exactly. It's very serendipitous to just you know randomly meet somebody who you knew on the internet. Yeah, so I because I got to know you through the like Red Alert um, modding community, I assumed you'd be down for talking about Command and, uh, Command and Conquer, which I've started playing again recently, um, just because I, I love that franchise and I just feel the urge to go back and play it every once in a while. Um, but then I thought, hey, you've also done a lot of modding, not just to the Command and Conquer franchise, so how about we talk about that a bit first? Sure. Um, okay, so I mean... It's hard not to talk about one without the other, um, mm -hmm. mostly because my love when I was a kid um, for gaming, it was like RTSs were my first like experience in, in gaming. Um, I played StarCraft and Warcraft 3 like almost religiously. And uh, the things that I really liked about it were like the story. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that the thing that really kept me coming back was map creation and doing all the mapping and using the uh, StarCraft editor and the uh, Warcraft 3 world editor. 
Like, I thought that they were just, like, you know, the best things in the world. Like, it's like, you can make your own games and stuff yeah. like that. That's amazing. Um, so that was really my first steps into uh, modding and doing that sort of thing was with StarCraft and Warcraft 3. Um, and uh, a few years, uh, I guess it would, it would be sometime during high school when um, one of my friends, uh, she invited me to work with uh, Infinity Realms, sort of a modding group that had just started up and they were doing a mod for uh, Battlefield called Battlefield Advance. Uh, Battlefield Advanced was a, uh, I guess, a conversion of uh, the Advanced Wars series to a first-person shooter so that you could be on the ground playing as your ground troops uh, rather than sort of like the, the strategy from like above. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it was, it's, it was a great idea. Um, unfortunately, a lot of the team um, sort of fell apart and left, so there were only just a handful of core members uh, who were still sort of involved. And, uh, you know, I, yeah. I stuck around just because they were the, the friends who are who are who I was hanging around with at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, then I guess the big mod happened um, mm-hmm. in two thousand and seven. Um, the I guess everyone was talking about the up, upcoming release of Red Alert three, and uh, that was when um, a good friend of mine, uh, she's known by her screen name Open Sketchbook online um she was the one who sort of came out came up with this really interesting plot and this really interesting universe that sort of expanded on what was in the uh red alert 3 trailers i guess um because it was sort of developed uh like it was starting to be developed just before the game actually released and even though i wasn't really sorry that's gonna say that's crazy i didn't know that the paradox had its root that far back I think it, I think it did. I think that I mean I, I'll have to confirm with her, but I think that Open Sketchbook started like as soon, pretty much as soon as the um, uh, as soon as the game was sort of announced, the wheels started turning that That's she wanted crazy. to make this mod for Red Alert Three. Um, but I mean, I, I mean, sorry, just uh, let's lay the groundwork here real quick because uh, Red Alert Three, when that game came out, it had three factions that you could play as. You could play as the Allied forces, the Soviet forces, and Japan, which is a new addition to the uh, Red Alert franchise. Typically, you only play as either Allies or Soviets. Um, And how many did OpenSketch decide to add to the game? What was your final count on factions? I think it was a total of eight. It's ridiculous. (laughs) I mean, it is ridiculous, and it was very ambitious. Uh, (laughs) Um, like all the different factions had like relationships with each other, whether they were like peaceful or at war. Um, there was so much lore she ended up writing about like how they interact with each other. And I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, that vision, that strength that she had in that vision was what really got the community like on board. Like they, they wanted to contribute to see this thing realized. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, the whole idea behind the mod is that like, it's a big world out there. There was a lot going on in World War II that really had a huge impact, um, like on on a global scale. And there was so many things going on. And there, you know, a lot of times you sort of group countries into different factions and stuff like that. But that was World War II. Mm-hmm. When you change the history, you know, things get a lot more complicated. Things get a lot more messy. And that's where paradox came from. Is and... that it's more? It became more than just a, um, you know, a hot Cold War. It became mm-hmm. like a global war with lots going on. And Mechathulu, for a good measure. 
Mecha Cthulhu, I think, was inevitable. <laughs> I think that that was something that, uh, yeah, there were just lots of interesting ideas. Like we even included like Tiberium mm-hmm. in the in the game as well, which is something that I think Red Alert should have done. Like I think that they should have tried to bridge the the two universes together a little bit more. Yeah, it would not have been implausible. I mean, they're both sort of taking place in a somewhat real world, but I guess, like, once you sort of... um, For those not familiar, the Red Alert franchise sort of takes place in this alternate history of... Uh, I I believe it all the... Everything kicks off when Albert Einstein invents a time machine and assassinates Hitler. Yes. There's the game storyline in a sentence, and the the tone, more importantly, that they were going for. Um, And his actions, while I think the game says good intent, ended up causing the hot uh, the, the cold war to become a hot war as you mentioned earlier and everything kind of kicks off from there and it's the 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 cold war that we never saw but with like time traveling and um ridiculous unrealistic technologies and all kinds of other crazy stuff but a little more um like modern time than the core command and conquer series which try to sort of presents itself as being like in the not so distant future but still like things are much more like advanced technologically in the command and conquer core franchise than they are in the red alert franchise oh yeah no no doubt um i mean you got to remember that uh red alert was made during the 90s and uh like then back then like the cold war was still fresh in people's minds i guess and uh i think that that was one of the things that sort of drove its popularity was like you know the the sort of fantasy of this cold war becoming like um becoming real so i think that that also sort of grounded it a lot more whereas tiberian like the tiberian universe uh always felt a little bit um futuristic like mm-hmm. it always felt like it was maybe you know 10 10 years in the future I, which i guess would be like present day from mm-hmm. the game's perspective you know it always sort of felt like a little bit in the future whereas red alert seemed like it could you know have taken place maybe 10 years previous yeah yeah and it's um like my my first introduction to this franchise like i was too young to play Command and Conquer 1. Like when that game came out, I was, I don't know exactly how old, but I was just around the age where I was old enough to wrap my brain around a strategy game when Red Alert 1 came out. And it just so happened that my stepbrother got a hold of it. And then I found like, what is this other EXE you can, oh, there's a map editor. And uh, well, I, I never really spent any time in the modding community that's why i wanted to talk to you more about this but just before we got too far away from it i just wanted to mention that i also tinkered with the red alert map editor mostly so that i could create incredibly one-sided fortresses for myself where i could just build up a huge turtle style base and just utterly destroy my opponent um because you know that's fun when you're like nine or ten years old hey it's still fun (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I was I, sort of in preparation for this. I've actually been playing some of my favorite Command and Conquer games. Uh, been playing Tiberium Sun, and uh, it's a much harder game than I remember. But then again, I was I cheesed a lot when I was a kid. So. Yeah. So yeah. I guess uh, I just wanted like we're I definitely want to have the opportunity to talk more about the Command and Conquer franchise. But I also just like having never actually participated in the modding community. I was wondering if you could like. I don't know, uh, just elaborate a bit more on like what your role was in any project that you want, like the, the Paradox project or like the other uh, games you mentioned modding. Sure, yeah. Um, so I guess 
uh, again, I, I started with uh, StarCraft and doing like mapping and stuff like that, but none of my maps really like went anywhere. It was mm. mostly my brother um, who was really into uh, mapping for Warcraft 3 and like actually like putting his stuff out to the community and doing that sort of thing. Um, but sort of together, we both learned how to use graphics programs like Photoshop and uh, you know Paint.net and other uh, GIMP and sorts of things to, to create graphics and stuff like that. And that, that um, was sort of how I started doing all this sort of artwork. Um, for Red Alert 3 Paradox, it was mostly uh, texturing, uh, doing a lot of promotional artwork, and uh, also doing all the music and stuff like that as well. Yeah. Uh, which, yeah, I mean, that was that was probably the thing that I was best at, uh, to be honest. Uh, you know, Open, Open Sketchbook, was she was really on top of all the artwork and she was a lot a lot faster than me not necessarily better i would say but definitely faster than me at modeling and texturing um but yeah it was really the music that uh, i just sort of started to experiment with and then it just sort of ended up being uh, a huge part of it and it set the, the amazing thing about music is that it sets the tone and it sets uh the emotions and like it sets the feeling of the general of the overall piece. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it was it was very important because I think that it was the music that also sort of got people's attention. It was absolutely, that's what got my attention. Like I I described myself in that audio clip earlier as your number one fan because I absolutely loved all the music you were putting out for the Paradox mod, and then you know tracked down every other piece of music you'd written. Uh, I made oh, yeah. I made one of the pieces of music you wrote, Manifest Destiny, my ringtone, which it is to this day. No way. Uh, it is, yeah. Uh, <laughs> sampled down, obviously, but it's, uh, yeah, I, I absolutely fell in love with the music that you wrote for that game. Um, not to say that there weren't other talented music artists working on the same project alongside you. That's true. But, it was, uh, yeah, you want to uh, mention yeah, yeah, we'll talk about Sandro. Sandro, uh, I think, is amazing. Uh, he He's just a very interesting guy to meet um, in person. Uh, I just I just remember sort of, um, you know, before before doing modding and stuff like that, Open Sketchbook and I were friends, and we were part of the same, like, friend group, even though we went to different uh, schools. Um, and uh, we started doing, like, webcomics and stuff like that, just about our friends and about our friend group. And then we did stuff that was sort of outside of that. And we always sort of described uh, Sandro as being, like, we, we never had him. We always blurred him in the, <laughs> uh, in the webcomics just because, like, he was, like, he was someone who'd never sat still. He always fidgeted and did stuff. So, no, he was just a great guy. Um, you know, he actually just recently released one of... Uh, uh, a game of his own just recently called uh, Awkward Todd, um, which I, I've, I believe is available on like itch.io and places. So cool. yeah, definitely check check that out. Uh, but yeah, no, he did a lot of the other music. He had a much different sort of, like I think we both used FL Studio, but he had a very different sort of sample set than I did. I mm -hmm. had more of like orchestral sound fonts and uh, some very strange synthesizers. Uh, whereas he was definitely more, uh, you know, more equipped for the electronic uh, mm -hmm. bass and the the drums and stuff like that. So he was he was really good at that. And we combined uh, we combined some of our music um, for some songs. But I wish that we'd collaborated a little bit more on that. Yeah, and I I think it was like kind of uh, there was something about the uh, Red Alert modding um, 
the interface or something that just made it incredibly difficult to actually integrate any of this like beautiful music you'd written? I mean, yeah. Um, let me tell you, <laughs> we tried so many different things. I think that 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 when we had problems with the music and putting the music in, that was sort of like when we started to realize the sort of scope of what we were dealing with here. Um, Again, I'm used to the StarCraft and WarCraft 3 modding tools, which are very, very, like with StarCraft, it was mostly around the map editor and the map making and stuff like that. But with WarCraft 3, you could import models and you could pretty much change everything if you wanted to. Like you could, uh, like they had a lot of functionality uh, involved. And so I was actually able to test out a lot of the music in WarCraft 3 just to see how it would sort of work out. Mm -hmm. And the same thing with like all the voices and things like that. And it was very easy just because the tools that they'd made were a lot more robust. Yeah. Um, when it came with when it came to Red Alert 3, I think that their the idea was that um, they wanted to like they wanted to like developers wanted to make sure that we had tools to put in our own units. Mm -hmm. um, but anything beyond that, it seemed like there wasn't a whole lot that we could do. Um, you know, there was a lot that we could do in terms of like expanding existing factions um, and, you know, it, we could add in new units and stuff like that. But when it came to like adding new factions and creating new user interfaces and um, creating uh, different sound environments and stuff like that, like everything sort of seemed to be behind this big giant wall of things that were hard coded into the game. Mm, yeah, so and, they, uh, they wanted you to be able to like add to the game, not exactly change it. Yeah, I think so. And I think that it wasn't necessarily, like, it could have been a little bit of EA wanting control over things and telling the development team to, like, you know, keep control over stuff because it's an online game. But I also think that it was, it probably was also development resources. Like, Absolutely. You know, with StarCraft, like, they had a, a whole team themselves devoted to, like, the, the modding tools and the map creation tools and stuff like that. Whereas they didn't... They didn't. I don't think that they had the resources by that point uh, with Westwood, and I don't think they ever really had um, a lot of resources for that sort of thing. Like in terms of putting manpower into developing applications for, you know, modders to create their own stuff. Like I think that it was just sort of beyond the scope of what they wanted to accomplish. Yeah, I mean, um, I can I can actually sort of speak to that from my own experience. Like people have looked at my games like Zarnok Fortress and being like, I love this. Can I? Can you make a level editor for it? I'm like. Absolutely not. Like I can, the amount of effort it takes to create a system that can, like, function as an interface for building levels, and then like saving that as data, loading it all in, uh, making stuff like actually work properly. Like I've designed level editors in the past. Um, I, I made a simple like make your own Mars lander kind of thing, which. I don't really maintain anymore, but I, the idea of just like making things like user customizable means you have to have um, a lot of different systems in your code. Like you have to have things that can read arbitrary models rather than using internal identifiers. You have to have things that um, can like pull art assets from like different file directories rather than like the game's internal, like. I, I just knowing how hard it would have been for me to create that for the scope of the game that I'm creating, I can understand that these aren't always things that developers can spare any time to make. Like they're they're trying to ship a game. They're not trying to ship 
a tool set or a like I know that it's a way to sort of give the game legs beyond its initial lifespan. I know that people can make amazing mods. Like that's how we got Dota, right? Like that was made in the Warcraft oh, yeah. Three engine. Um, oh yeah, exactly. But it's, Dota, it's and I mean like it, it spawned its own genre. Yeah, basically. <laughs> so that's that's amazing that they were able to dedicate that much time to making the tools as robust as you were describing them. But I can understand as unfortunate as it was that they couldn't sort of allocate the uh, necessary resources to ship what they thought of as a complete product and also make it so that it was open-ended and you were able to modify it and so on yeah i mean at this point i think that if we were to go back and try and do paradox again um it would probably be easier to like you know edit use the starcraft 2 editor you could mm-hmm. easily make a Command and Conquer clone in uh, the StarCraft II um, editing uh, software. It's like, just, yeah, I think that it's just because, I'm, I'm not sure if Blizzard was a bigger company at the time in the 90s, but they were definitely sort of competing with each other, um, mm-hmm. Westwood and uh, and Blizzard, at least because they're the two biggest RTS companies mm-hmm. that were at the time. Um, but yeah, I think that it was like, it was just really hard. And I mean, we, there has always been some difficulty in modding uh, Command and Conquer games. Uh, I think the easiest ones to do were probably uh, Command Conquer Three and Red Alert Three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess like the older games had those like reasonably robust map editing tools, but those were basically just what the developers were using to make the maps in the first place. Mm-hmm. So they they had to take the time to invest in making those tools functional because that's what they were using to make the game. You want to make you want to invest the time in making your tool set robust so that you yourself can use it yeah exactly and i think that that's where a lot of modding tools uh sort of come from mm-hmm. um so for red alert 3 specifically it took them i think a year a year and a couple a, a year and change i guess for um for the actual modding modding sdk to actually come out and so that came out with a bunch of documentation as well as some tools to convert models and stuff like that but it was like you could tell that it was stuff that the developers had basically made for themselves mm-hmm. and um, had tried their best to uh, take their documentation and make it easy for people who you know weren't up to date with the uh, with their internal development lingo yeah um, so it ended up being uh, like they ended up being um, sorry the modding tools ended up being like fairly robust we could do a few things but you know there are a lot of things that i think that by the by the end even for them they were having a hard time with um you know we we managed to you know work or work our way around the main menu screen and mm-hmm. you know create new assets for that but it's like we couldn't have we couldn't have added anything new there uh, not that not that like starcraft ever let you do that sort of thing but like you know uh it was just it was always sort of a pain to to work around these sort of sublimitations and so you know, when it came to adding factions, um, we managed to get one fully in. Um, we had a couple working versions where there were five or six factions, but there was sort of a point uh, where everything broke, mm. and uh, it sucked. <laughs> so, yeah. and I mean, like Paradox was featured as one of the most like far along and successful Red Alert mods. Like, can you even think of any other mods that were actually like completed and that you? really remember tinkering or playing with at the time um uprising i uh was sort of sort of involved in the development of that at the time just because uh i I was 
sort of waiting on art assets and stuff like that with uh, with Paradox. So I sort of asked um, asked to see if they they needed any texturing work or modeling work and stuff like that. Um, so I sort of got to see how far along they were with their stuff. Um, so I've yeah, when, when, you, when you mentioned it, the name sounds familiar. They were adding like a, a fourth faction to the game. That was like their their goal was to add one more faction. Oh, sorry. Was it sorry? Uh, was it uprising? Was uprising the DLC or I think oh, it might have been unleashed. That's unleashed it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Well, there are three unleashed, and uh, so my my bad. It was so long ago. I'm yeah, so I mean, sorry. I, I'll I'll um. A red alert uprising was not super memorable like i think there were people in the community who were creating more interesting experiences in that game than like they wanted to charge full price for that thing that was like they were saying oh it's not an expansion it's its own standalone thing you don't need to own the original game to play this it's like yeah but Yo. this is nowhere near good enough to release as its own standalone product i mean that's that's sort of the ea business model and mm -hmm. i would say that compared to today that is sort of like Man, I'm so glad that they're that they you know didn't go a full EA on this. You know, yeah. Um, yeah Lord, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I could talk about botting for like The Sims because The Sims is another sort of EA product. But sure. Yeah. It's... Let's ch let's change gears a bit here, like because uh, we we've talked a lot about uh, you know this large like all encompassing experience, but like I imagine modding The Sims was much more of a solo affair for you. Oh yeah. I mean, it was never even stuff that I did and posted uh, like posted stuff online publicly, but it's something that I still tinker to to this day to like get characters that look exactly the way that I want and to get uh, all the different furniture that I want and stuff like that in the game. Um, so, you know, uh, The Sims 4 is definitely um, much easier to, uh, I, guess, I guess it's also like the scope is a lot easier to figure out with The Sims 4. Uh, I'm not sure how it compares to The Sims 3 that much. I didn't do a whole lot of stuff for The Sims 3. It was mostly like texture, texture swapping and stuff like that. But um, Sims 4, like, you didn't even need... Like, you could do all of your work in Blender. And uh, importing models and stuff like that was really easy. There's also lots of infrastructure within the community themselves. Um, you know, the community has tons of talented developers working to create tools that... Um, you know, work with all the expansions and stuff like that that come out for The Sims 4. But, you know, you could tell that it was very much like a bare bones experience yeah. from like the start of The Sims 4. And I don't blame people for, you know, hearing this and being like, The Sims 4, that wasn't like very good at all. Like, I don't, I don't blame you for thinking that. Like, it wasn't, it was a very bare bones game. And even still, like they, they charge you for absolutely everything. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's made modding, uh, you know, almost like that that's like modding is like the the way that you get content in the sims 4 now yeah. um, you know like sure there's some features and stuff like that that come through uh, like gameplay features that come through with the expansion packs but you know for any sort of cosmetics modding is the way to go and even like doing like what i do which is you know you make your own stuff so you can make screenshots like that's how a lot of modders get their start in the sims community yeah and i feel like modding like if you're if you see a game and you want to change something about it you can go sort of one of two routes like i i see something in a game i'm like i don't like how they did this i'm gonna go ahead and make another game where they where i can tackle this and like redesign this that or i just don't bother um i suppose like the other way is like you see something like oh i really want this this furniture to come in like a slightly different shape or size because I'm trying to get this feng shui going in this house. So you crack open the game and you actually modify stuff about it. And I think that's 
just a really cool um, like approach of modifying your experience. Um, oh, yeah. I, I mean, it's the same with like it's the same for me with uh, City Skylines. Um, you know, where I don't I might not have the exact building that I want, but I will you know I'll try and make it myself anyways. Like you know, for example, I wanted to make Union Station um, the big train station in Toronto. Um, like into my city skylines game so i actually just you know found the uh google one of the google earth models for it and uh, did some modifying uh modified it up a bit um redid the textures and then put it into the game and like yeah it's it, it, i guess like city skylines also had sort of a different scope but uh it was still like it's still one of those things where it was fairly easy to add into the game you know contrasted to red alert 3 where we had it was almost like you know four or five months before and we were the first the first modding team to be able to put a new model on the game but mm-hmm. like there was a lot going on there was uh, you know there was a lot going on and there was a lot of stuff that weren't document like that wasn't documented yeah. in the documentation so it was really tricky to figure out and like even to this day there are some things that are just like okay like we know how to do for example moving textures in uh, the 3D program that we are using 3ds Max but uh, we had no idea how to like how to get it so that the game knew that they were scrolling textures and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So for like tank treads, uh, just because you know we we did our best with the documentation that we had, we looked at all the source models and stuff like that. But it, it was we had to like really dig in and figure out how things were going. Whereas it felt a lot more straightforward. It, it felt a lot more straightforward with other. Um, SDKs that we were used to. Yeah, so I guess that's another sort of major component of like modding in general is the sense of like participating in a community and like someone will root through the code because they're an experienced mm-hmm. programmer and they'll post on a forum and say, hey, I found out how to do this thing and now everyone can benefit from that. And an artist will say like, hey, there's this weird way that they store normal maps. Here's what you need to do to optimize your game so that it doesn't get 10 frames per second. Like oh, there's yeah, this exactly. give it's and like... take, everyone. <laughs> And it's like, oh yeah. So by the way, like the, you know, like in Red Alert Three, the yeah. uh, they use their specularity maps for really weird things. Yeah. Like you know, they they used it for faction color and like I mean, it was good that they they managed. Like it's good to know that you know they they'd optimized their game that well and had managed to figure out solutions like these. But it was still sort of like, oh right. So if we do these values, then it'll work. And lots of playing around. But yeah, I mean, like. With a lot of other places, like again, The Sims and City Skylines, and like even Skyrim, still like mm-hmm. the modding community there, like they have documentation on everything. They talk about everything. Everything is very open, and every everyone is very, um, you know, they're willing to share what they've discovered. Uh, with Red Alert Three, like it felt like we were the only modding group that was really willing to to do that. There are a few, uh, like we we collaborated with a few other modders there to like really sort of get a sense of what we were working with. Uh, just because, like at the time, we were—I think we were most of us were in college, and you know, we we weren't skilled programmers or anything like that. We just, we were really relying on sort of a community to be there. But you know, there really sort of wasn't. It felt like everyone who had modded for Command and Conquer Three, you know, they had all their documentation, which was fairly similar. Um, but uh, you know, they they kind of it felt like they, people had given up after that. I guess mm-hmm. um, where you know that was what that was what we got with red alert 3 it was like well we had to figure out most of it ourselves yeah um, it's it's almost like it, some of it was such a tough nut to crack that maybe by the time people finally got the answers they were like well i'm holding on to this i want my mod to succeed because of these answers 
Oh yeah, there was some there was healthy competition among the modding community. Uh, there is some, there is some salt being thrown around. I can think but, of a few uh, names. It was yeah it was, yeah it was pretty intense. But you know I think that one of the things that we really tried to foster with our community was like you, you know we had our we had a wiki that you could basically add anything that you wanted to. Like it was moderated, but it was uh, very we were always open to fan ideas. We, we had our podcast where we would, um, you know, read through all these suggestions that people yep. had for the game. And, oh, man, that was just, that was probably the best thing. That was the best thing that we could have done for that mod. Yeah, and I, I, I love that so much. Like, I, I remember going on a ski vacation with my grandparents one time, and we're, like, getting back, like, landing um, you know, getting getting our stuff from the airport. I'm like, come on, come on. I'm going to, I got to get home. I got to, I don't want to miss Paradox Cast. Mm-hmm. like insisting that we like hurry up so that I could get home to participate in this thing. Cause I just, I, I never wanted to miss a single one. Oh yeah. It's the same thing with me. I mean, like we were the, like we had like a schedule set out and it would be to the point where I'd like, I'd tell my boss at work and I'd be like, look, I can't work past eight. Uh, I can't work past like seven today because I, I need enough time to get back to do this thing. And, you know, they were like, okay, fine. <laughs> we can do that. So no, it was, it was great. Um, so yeah, I, I'm so glad that we were able to, to do that. It was a huge success. Like that was really how we got things going um, with Paradox and getting a lot of content sort of figured out and tailoring it to what people sort of wanted. I, I wish that we'd been able to implement all of it, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, excuse me. Um, like as I was saying earlier, like at this point, it would probably be easy enough to, like it would probably be easier to uh, use the either the StarCraft editor or even just like use Unity and like mm-hmm. build everything ourselves using a, um, um, you know, use like there's a lot of like RTS or like starter kits I guess yeah. available for Unity. So it'd be sort of like a good starting starting point for something like that. But like we have so many like we have we built such a huge library of assets at the time. So yeah, yeah. I, it's it's one of those things where like from my understanding of it, modding is entirely like a labor of love. Like you're not making a product to sell you're making something that you want other people to play and enjoy mm-hmm. and it's it... very much a community thing and very much a yeah like when you're when you're working on a mod you don't feel like like you don't you definitely feel like you're the author of your mod but you don't feel like you're like you're in this as, at the same level as like a, a game developer like you don't think that you're at the same level as like um like like it, it's hard to sort of explain. Like you feel like you you're not doing this because it's your job. You're doing mm-hmm. this because it's really fun and because you want to put all your heart and soul into it. Um, that's one of the things that I really remember and really I sort of admire about modding communities is that like you're willing to put a lot of very you know very painful time and effort. I must say at some points like you know you're looking through your code and being like everything looks like it's working like it should work mm-hmm. fine. Why is it not working? having to deal with a lot of frustrations of like working with a team but like everybody who's part of that team also isn't being paid so you know like somebody so you have to manage your work and your modding balance and stuff like that you know because sometimes it takes over your life so it's not like a work-life balance like it's like a work modding balance yeah um so yeah i mean it's really something that i have a lot of admiration for modders yeah i it's something that i've never like I've always been like far too interested in writing and creating worlds of my own that I, I've never participated in modding 
but I, I find it, as you say, like just admirable that these there are these people who are willing to stick with it and create these amazing experiences for other people to enjoy. All right, well, I think that's, unless there's anything else you wanted to mention about uh, your modding experience? Nope, I think that's it. Okay, well, uh, thanks so much for coming on to talk about your experience with modding, and um, we're probably going to roll into another episode where we just talk some straight-up Command & Conquer goodness. So, Sounds great. Um, where can folks find you at on the internet? Yeah, so I've ramped down my modding, uh, the modding scene and stuff like that. So you you, uh, you can still probably find me on ModDB. So if you want to check me out there, you can totally do so. I haven't really updated that in a while, but if you're interested in talking to me, that's probably the best place to do it. Uh, otherwise, if you're interested in animation or compositing or any sort of that sort of thing, you can uh, see all my work at uh, www.chrisferris.com. And uh, yeah, so that's it for me. Sounds great. And as always, you can find me on my website at bluishgreenproductions.com, where you can submit user feedback, questions, and comments about the show. And you can also follow me on Twitter at bluishgreenpro or my personal handle, Attila Gabriel. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>